You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Tech moves fast. So keep pace with the Daily Crunch Podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts. It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. New episodes drop every weekday, so listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. This is Joe Salcihai, and you're listening to the Earn and Invest podcast. Today on Earn and Invest, we do something different. I'm going to read excerpts from an article and then discuss them with one of my favorite podcasters. But before I introduce him, this is a Benziga article I saw on Yahoo Finance by Jing Pan entitled, America is Broke. Robert Kiyosaki warns that a crash landing is coming, says the Fed has been smoking fantasy weed. Here are the three assets he likes for shockproofing, and it reads, The U.S. stock market showed impressive gains in 2023, and the latest gross domestic product figure exceeded expectations. But according to Rich Dad, Poor Dad author Robert Kiyosaki, the picture might not be as rosy as it appears. Quote, Don't they know the stock market is up because Biden raised the debt ceiling? America's debt is going up, so the stock market is going up too. He wrote in a recent tweet, America is broke. The author's concern about America's escalating debt was echoed by Fitch ratings. Shortly after that tweet, Fitch downgraded the United States' long-term foreign currency issuer default rating from its highest AAA rating to AA+. The credit rating agency pointed to expected fiscal deterioration over the next three years, a high and growing general government debt burden, and an erosion of governance as reasons behind the decision. While some experts expect a soft landing for the U.S. economy, Kiyosaki is less optimistic. Quote, first shoe to drop, Fitch Rating Services downgrades U.S. credit ratings from AAA to AA+. Brace for crash landing, he tweeted. Sorry for the bad news, yet I have been warning for over a year that the Fed, Treasury, Big Corp CEOs have all been smoking fantasy weed. Given this stern warning, where should concerned investors turn? To evaluate this article and answer those questions, we have with us today Joe Salcihai, who is the co-creator and owner of the Stacking Benjamins podcast, also known as The Greatest Money Show on Earth. He's the author of Stacked, Your Super Serious Guide to Modern Money Management. Joe Salcihai, welcome back to Earn and Invest. Let's talk about gurus, right? Not just Robert Kiyosaki, but, you know, throw in Susie Orman or Grant Cardone or whoever your favorite guru is. What do you think about getting advice in general from gurus when they comment on current events? Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh man. <laughs> well, I think that I think that no matter who it is, you have to look at what the agenda is of 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 the guru. And, and while I think that there is nothing wrong with with hearing the message that a guru uh, espouses, 
I think that it's much like a celebrity endorsement. Like, you know, you like Sprite better because LeBron James drinks it. You know, LeBron James has nothing to do with Sprite. He doesn't, he's not in the bottling plant making it better, you know, doing his little Harry Potter thing he does before basketball games on, on, on bottles of Sprite. So I think that, I think you just have to think about what is, what is the bigger picture? When I was a financial planner, I had trouble with this actually. And it was, I would have a, a client come into my office and say, well, Susie Orman said, mm-hmm. now I'm a guy who, you know, I was locally famous in, in Detroit, but, 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 but that was it. Me versus Susie, doc, Susie's going to win every single argument that I have, right? They're going to go, well, she's Susie Orman and you're this little dude in, in, in Detroit, Michigan. So I realized early on that if I was a smart advisor, I would not disagree with Susie. What I would do is I would remind my client that Susie's talking to an audience of millions. So she is giving her thoughts about what millions of people might think. And I'm in a room specifically with them. My point being that just because it might be right for millions of people doesn't mean it's right for you individually. And then I would say, here's where Susie's right for you, what she said, where it, it's right. And this is what I, where I agree. And then here's where I don't disagree, but I disagree for you specifically because of this thing right here. And, and that may be the case. Kiyosaki might be a little different deal. Well, I was about to say Kiyosaki might be a little different deal. Does the article feel different if this is coming from Warren Buffett? I think it does because Warren Buffett has a history of success after success after success. Warren Buffett also has a history of of being conservative, of being a very conservative, practical investor. I mean, the whole Benjamin Graham basis foundation that that Warren Buffett laid his house upon is about you look for these deep values. You look for for companies that are undervalued and you hold them for long periods of time, which I think is the important thing here. What does Kiyosaki talk about in Rich Dad Poor Dad? I mean, when you get to when you get down to it, Kiyosaki talks about buying real estate and micro cap stocks, penny stocks. His his book Rich Dad Poor Dad, which is a classic talks about being buying penny stocks is the way to get wealthy. That is not a conservative way to make money. <laughs> so when you dive into actually what they're, you know, what they're selling, there's a huge difference between Kiyosaki's level of risk and the risk that Warren Buffett's espousing. What do you think in general of, of opinion pieces as financial news? Because right, financial news can report on what's happening today, right? They can report on Fitch's downgrading, and that's informative, right? Or they can explain different terms and tell us about different investment options, those kind of things. But this is really different. This was most definitely an opinion piece. Is there a place for that today, especially in our audience? You know, people who are listening who truly want to learn and improve their finances. I think there is a place for it. I think it's really fun, but I think that more and more, you know, you watch CNN. Do we ever see any news? We watch Fox News. Do we ever see any news? News channels have no news. When I actually want to watch the news, I will, I will tune into my local station where I can get an hour of this is what's going on in the world. So I wish that we colored those more as opinion pieces instead of calling them news channels. These pieces we see more and more often. In fact, I saw one just before we hit record where it said 
Dave Ramsey has this to say about the current real estate situation, right? And and so because Dave Ramsey said it, we think that that's that makes it a fact. I wish the opinion. This is Dave Ramsey's opinion on on where now it's an informed opinion, and I think that Robert Kiyosaki has an informed opinion. But I also think that we need to go back to if I am using current events to shape my financial plan. I've I've got a big problem with my financial plan. My financial plan should never be to react. My financial plan should always be to chart a course and then as storms hit, which they inevitably will, to know what the plan is in when a storm's coming. I mean, you, you, to to continue that analogy, if 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 you're captaining a ship and you see a storm in the distance, you don't all of a sudden reach for the ship manual and go, "Oh, what do we do now? There's a storm up there." Like, like, you better know what the course of action is with your ship before the storm gets there. And sadly, I think too many of us don't. And because of that, we go, oh, Robert Kiyosaki says it's going to get bad. Well, maybe I need to change my investments. Well, that's fine. And if you change them and it works and Kiyosaki's right, well, then you got to figure out when to change it back, right? When you put the sail back up. And if you don't know how to read weather maps, which I think is a good analogy, then I think it becomes very difficult to know when to put the put your your Humpty Dumpty back in place. Yeah, and aside to that, you know, if you're going to be following Dave Ramsey's suggestions on real estate, I hope you realize that he went bankrupt <laughs> with right. with real estate, and that was the beginning of his career. Not to say that he doesn't have valid ideas now, but something to keep in mind. Well, and that's a great point because you know when you look at Ramsey's real estate advice, it is overly overly conservative it's amazingly conservative why so he so you don't make the same mistake he did he did yeah yeah so knowing somebody's complete point of view like i hear kiyosaki kiyosaki with his micro cap stocks might give you some talking points that are going to blow in the wind a little bit i mean they're going to be the the underlying message of rich dad poor dad i think is 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 good to be building this pile of money that goes to work for you but the investment choice is not there. Dave Ramsey's the same, right? Dave Ramsey. Anybody who's dug into Dave Ramsey will tell you that that get out of debt strategy is a one first class steakhouse material. Like this is a this is a three star Michelin restaurant. For people who don't know Michelin, it's not five stars like most of or ten stars. It is three, and three is the best. So he is primo on that. When it comes to his investing advice. He talks about using high fee funds that are that are managed, not using indexes, and he really likes one investment fund company. By the way, the investment fund company he likes has a great track record. But once you know that, you go, okay, yeah. might be okay. So let's get down to specifically some of what Kiyosaki says, because I think on, a, on some level, that's the best way we can analyze what he's talking about. So let me read one of his quotes. Don't they know the stock market is up because Biden raised the debt ceiling? America's debt is going up. So the stock market is going up. Talk to me about the validity of that statement. Does that make sense to you as an advisor, someone who's been paying attention to financial news and, and personal finance here in the United States? Well, it's, you know, there's always a reason to fear, right? You can point to a reason before the government raised the debt ceiling. And looking at the looking at the debt ceiling, you know, the other piece I don't like there is you can clearly see his political agenda, right? 
Republicans have raised the debt ceiling. Democrats have raised the debt ceiling, but this is Biden's deal. Okay. All right. So this, <laughs> so th- that immediately makes me snarky, whether they go, well, you know, Trump, well, you know, Biden, well, you know, or, you know, back in uh, George W., Obama, thanks Obama. Right, he <laughs> just you got you got people blaming this the this 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 one person. So so the, the the federal government can continue to run and operate the way that they do now, which means that the government, by virtue of its own spending, is pumping liquidity, keeping liquidity in the market. That is true, not nearly as true. As when the Federal Reserve lowers interest rates, that pumps a crap load more money into the in into the the into the economy. So, is the debt ceiling being raised a reason for concern? Absolutely, but it hasn't been a concern, Doc, for the last six months or this debt ceiling raise. I remember this was a concern in the nineties. I actually remember. I take that back. I remember Ronald Reagan. <laughs> Talking about about deficits and deficit spending, while by the way, at the same time, Reagan increasing the deficit yeah. is increasing <laughs> the deficit. Taxes, yeah, right. So, <laughs> so you know, and 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 I remember, you know, the year that Clinton actually balanced the budget. I think that might have been the last time that we had a balanced budget. Mm-hmm. So, you know, intertwining politics in this doesn't make a lot of sense to me because politicians more and more seem to be going the opposite way of their political parties or, or, or not even the opposite way, just, just economics and politics are not the same thing. But I guess to directly answer your question, there's always something to fear. There's always a reason people will tell you to take your money out of the spot where it should be. I think the spot where it should be should always be to look at the growing season on your investments, meaning while crops have a certain number of months it takes for them to actually get mature to to be ready to be harvested you have a growing season for your money rather than play this minute by minute day by day game look at how many years you have until you need to take that until you need to harvest that dollar and then put that dollar in a place that historically has gotten you there that's diversified that is low cost and historically as an example if you've more than 10 years Diversified stocks and diversified real estate are the two ways that have always, over long periods of time, beaten inflation. So those are your go-tos. It's going to look different the next 50 years than it did the last 50, but those two asset classes have a history for a lot of very scientific reasons of beating inflation, which is the thing that we need to do. So the article goes ahead and quotes Kiyosaki and then notes that Fitch, which I think is a credit rating agency out of the UK, downgraded the United States long-term foreign currency issuer default from AAA to AA+. You know, this is something we always talk about with the debt ceiling, right? If we don't pass legislation for the debt ceiling, our credit is going to be downrated. It's going to cause a catastrophe. People aren't going to want to lend money to the US anymore. How important is this? It's very important. It is very important, and there and there is a crash coming. There is one coming, but there's always one coming. There's we went through one in 2000. We went through one in 2008. We're gonna have. We're gonna get to the point where the federal government's ability to operate and to pay the the huge interest on this massive amount of debt 
take a look at the debt in the year 2000, just do a quick Google search of the, the debt and the debt service as a portion of the budget. The debt service is a portion of the budget today versus back in 2000. It's alarming. And we were alarmed back then by how much money was going toward debt service. This is the reason why when people start using their credit cards, as, as things get worse in the economy, you see it gets harder to get out of that hole. It gets harder and harder because instead of $300 interest going to Chase, Citibank, or Capital One, now you've got $600 a month going to them and then $800 a month. And then a thousand, more and more of your budget ends up being just servicing the debt and keeping it alive. So the government's running into that same problem. It's a huge problem. It needs to be fixed. But if you look at the if you look at the other side of that coin, this is why experts like Ed Slot, one of the biggest experts in the area of tax planning, Ed Slot says that tax rates are lower today, just looking at the math, than they will be in the future. Because the only way we can solve this is default on the debt or raise taxes. We have we have two choices. And default on the debt, you can see nobody wants that to happen. So tax is going up. That means that if I'm planning, if I'm planning, I'm not, I'm not looking at my investments. I'm looking at the taxability of my investments. I'm looking at how quickly do I get stuff into a Roth position, right? How do I take advantage of low interest rates today to do that backdoor Roth IRA that I want to do? Like, I don't know. I look at it more as a opportunistic, but knowing that there's severe weather ahead, there always has been and there will be. So you're telling me that, Joe, you and Ed Slat do not believe in the precepts of Reaganomics and trickle-down economics. We shouldn't be decreasing our taxes in order to increase spending and improve the taxable base? You're, you, don't, you don't agree with that? Well, I think that, I think that taxes need to be moderated, right? I mean, there, there, there's a moderate number where you... There is a number, this is so over my head because economics <laughs> is not my thing. Personal finance is my thing. But if we're talking about economics, I do think it's moderated. And I'll give you a local example. In in Texarkana, we are a border city where I live, right on the Texas-Arkansas border. So a little less than half of the cities on the Arkansas side, the, obviously the other half is on the Texas side, duh. We had a restaurant recently moved from the Arkansas side to the Texas side. Because the tax bill to operate that restaurant was about a third lower. It was a 12% tax on the Arkansas side versus an 8% tax. And they were public about, hey, we're moving just a mile down the street so that we lower our tax bill by a third. Now, Texas taxes, an 8% tax still is a, is a decent sized tax. But a 12% tax is higher is, is a reason for them to move from one side to the other side. So while the Texas side is booming, the Arkansas side really struggling when it comes to 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 retail companies like this particular restaurant. Now, I don't know the particular economics of Texarkana, Texas, and whether this is going to end well, right? Are taxes too low on the Texarkana, Texas side? I don't know. But there has to be a middle ground where businesses and consumers can continue to, to function and at the same time, though, we're not deficit spending. And if we take that back from this economic heady issue, which I'm always reticent to talk about, move it back to my, my own budget, I have to be putting enough aside that I can solve whatever future problems we know are going to happen. If I'm deficit spending, not only can I not 
put enough aside to handle future rainy days. I can't even really handle today. Something bad happens today and I'm already deficit spending. I got to go open up another credit card. I got to go to the bank and I got to get another personal loan. I got to make things actually worse than they are today. So, so I don't think to directly answer your question, I think that if the trickle down had worked the way that it's operating now, that we would have seen it work by now. Um, I think it, I think at some point figuring out what the actual math is to make this work, certainly there's a good idea here between if companies can operate, then, then everybody wins and consumers will end up paying the taxes that businesses don't pay. I get that from a, from a cerebral level, but it, it just seems not to be working the way that we'd hoped. So the article goes on to say that while some experts expect a soft landing for the U S economy, Kiyosaki is less optimistic kind of this idea that everything's going to crash. And you and I, you know, we just talked about the fact that, yes, something is going to happen, right? There are some negative indicators going on. But I feel like this article does what it, what a lot of articles do, which is state some facts or some general ideas and say that's why the world is going to end. How much should this make us anxious about the future and our own personal security? The only constant is that things are going to change. And yet we all fear change. So things are going to be different. Things are going to, in some areas, deteriorate, and in others, they're going to prosper. And I think once we realize that change is the only thing, then instead of being afraid, we are prepared. And while some people may sit in the corner and just worry about the future, I think the better thing to do is create an investment policy statement, right? I know very few individuals that have one if they don't have a financial advisor. And certainly you see any great financial advisory firm is going to advocate for an investment policy statement. So if you're listening to this, you don't need an advisor to create your own investment policy statement. What is that? That says that when these storms hit, what are my course of action ahead of time? It's that manual that you go to to operate the boat when the seas get rough. How is that going to happen? If, the, if it goes up really fast, what am I going to do? If it goes down really fast, what am I going to do? Now, why do you set that, that ahead of time? It's the same reason why schools have fire drills. And actually, families should have these same fire drills at home. It's so that when the fire hits, that we already know the course of action. We're like, oh, guess what? It's a fire. And instead of not knowing where to go, we know exactly what wheels we set in motion. I love that. That's preparation. And so doing that, I think, is way, 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 way better than 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 the panic. Of course, so, so then we ask ourselves, so so why why does a company print this? Why do they have this? Because we all click it, and we <laughs> click it because we're built that way, you and know. We, and we talk about it on our podcast, <laughs> right? Well, well, think about. You know what's funny is you look at news stories that are at the at the at the cinema or at Barnes and Noble in the bookstore whatever they are the stories that resonate are just riffs off the same stories that resonated hundreds of years ago and thousands of years ago the 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 arc of a good story has not changed and it's because we are built for that and so what this story of Achilles heel that Achilles Achilles mom to make him immortal holds on to his heel and dips him right 
into, mm. into this immortal spot is, is great. So we're all, and the reason that resonates is because everybody thinks we have an Achilles heel. What is my downside? What, what, what do I not see? That story's still there today for the same reason that we click on this piece. Cause I think I'm going to read this piece and I'm going to find out what my Achilles heel is. What do I truly need to be in that I wasn't in that I wasn't in before? It's a great way to write a story if I want people to click. We are talking to Joe Salcihai. He's the co-creator and owner of the Stacking Benjamins podcast. And we are discussing an article that Robert Kiyosaki says that our economy is about to be in free fall. Is it? That is the topic of the conversation today. We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is Earn and Invest. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, purposeful cockpit-like driving position, and award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R. USA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. I have a confession to make. Money has been stressful to us lately. Look, we are in the midst of a house remodel. We are sending our first kid to college, and everything I thought I knew about budgeting has been out the window. The main savior for us has been Monarch Money. We started using Monarch Money about three months ago. My wife and I have been thinking a lot about our finances and our budget has changed, but we love Monarch Money because it's collaborative. We can both look at this together as well as share it with other people like a financial advisor if we want to. It's really aspirational. We can put information in there about, for instance, our kids' college education or about our remodel. And we can see where we need to go and where we are going. This is the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch Money is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. That's monarchmoney.com slash E-A-R-N. What I love about Monarch Money is it's intuitive. It's really easy to sign on and connect all your bank accounts and credit cards. As we said, it's collaborative. It's also customizable. Like We were able to build in exactly what we wanted to do with our kids' college education as well as our home remodel. This is an app that is customer-focused. 
Really Monarch Money is looking to make this app useful to you and me and all of us who are aspirational about our money. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners to the show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. We are talking to Joel Saul He's the author of Stack, Your Super Serious Guide to Modern Money Management. And we are talking about this article that quotes Robert Kiyosaki in the state of our economy. Joe, Kiyosaki goes on further to say, sorry for the bad news that I've been warning for over a year. The Fed, Treasury, Big Corp CEOs have all been smoking fantasy weed. Now, now besides the silliness of talking about the smoking fantasy weed, What I think he's really pointing to is some of our current policies revolving around quantitative easing and the interest rates. I mean, is there a kernel of truth here? Do we feel like the government and the Fed and the the Treasury, they've all been kind of mismanaging the way we both create money and then look at interest rates in the U.S.? Well, there's only really two ways for an economic engine to work, and it's either a debtor economy or a saver economy. And it's very interesting to look at the US economy versus Singapore as an example, which is built on on people saving money. Government mandates in Singapore that people have to save a percentage of their income. And you look at the percentage of the population in Singapore that's wealthy, it, it truly is an eye-opener. When you look at the U.S. tax code, you immediately see that we are built for debt. We give we give people so many tax breaks to get into debt. We are built on that. Now, it works. It works great because of the fact that if people go into debt, they have more cash, more capital that they de- then deploy the capital. It actually works much more quickly. It's it's like you know sugar in the bloodstream. You know, if if you're feeling down, if you're a little hangry, just have a Snickers bar and things are going to be much better. I think that's what debt is. All of a sudden I get a hundred thousand dollars that I can deploy. I put that in the economy. I just pay interest slowly to some bank, some institution. And I've now flooded uh, the market with a hundred thousand dollars more, whatever the, whatever the number is that I spent. So everything that we do from a government perspective is around getting people to keep their wallet loose. That is what fuels the the economy, which is also, so then people might be asking, well, then why do we raise interest rates? Well, if the wallet gets too loose, then stores know that the wallet's loose and I can very easily raise prices and you're not going to care. And then when when I raise prices, I then capture more of that money. And then over time, then you need a raise at work to be able to afford the fact that I raise prices because you're going to feel it within a few months. And then inflation is off and running. And so to curtail that and keep the debt level of debt slower, we actually have to raise interest rates on that debt. So people feel a little bit of hurt so that we can do it again. My diet coach, it's so bougie. I got a diet coach, <laughs> but, but my diet coach, Jesse does that where she does it with clean carbs. She will create a diet doc, which is more carbs, and more carbs and more carbs. And then she drops it to zero carbs. And what's funny is because they're clean carbs, I don't raise and I'm working out. I, my, my weight goes up just a little bit, but when she drops the cards back, back to zero and the body feels that 
I then drop weight very, very quickly. And then that works for a couple of weeks. And then I go a little bit more carbs, a little bit more carbs, a little bit more carbs. I find it kind of interesting. And I've always found it a contradiction. What we say is good for our country often is not necessarily good for us personally. So a lot of times we talk about our country is good to have debt, right? It's good to keep the engine of the economy going, et cetera. And sometimes these larger governmental decisions are really looking at the economy and country, whereas for us as people, having debt can be catastrophic. And often, unless it's what we would call good debt, we really want to try to avoid it. So what's good for the country is not necessarily good for the person. What's funny is, you know, in the long term, it's not good for the com- for the country. It's good. You know, that Snickers bar is fantastic <laughs> for the hangry right now. I, I don't think there's a human listening to us that thinks a Snickers is a great long-term <laughs> solution. Singapore, I'm not saying Singapore is perfect, by the way. Singapore has so many problems as well. But when it comes to looking at the number of of wealthy people in that country and the haves versus the have-nots and the number of haves versus the number of haves here, it's it's a whole different model. But it takes forever. It's it's going to take a, a long, long time. And so I think when we look at our own situation, we don't want to build it on sugar. We want to build it. it we want to build it on a much more solid foundation, which is having other people be the debtor. And they owe you. If somebody owes you money, that's a that is a much better place to be. Of course, what's interesting too is there are, of course, world big world religions where where that that still doesn't make sense. You know, Muslims believe that you you should not be be borrowing money. You should not be loaning money to people. So bonds you won't find in a Muslim person's portfolio, which is which is actually really interesting when you start thinking about religion involved with money, but that's probably a whole different different podcast. So I'm really excited here because the article not only tells us of the gloom and doom, but throws us a lifeline, almost in a sense, the punchline of the article is what Robert Kiyosaki tells us should be shockproof investments. How are we going to protect ourselves from all this change that is coming our way. And his suggestions were silver, gold, and Bitcoin. Tell me, Joe, what do you think about that? <laughs> well, let's take these, let's take these one by one. The first, the first one, silver. We had one of the foremost silver experts in the country on stacking Benjamins. And he said that silver will frustrate you longer than you can hold it. So if you're looking for silver to do anything. You need to hold it for a long time, and you know what? It will still do nothing forever and ever and ever and ever. So silver is silver is frustrating, and it is unpredictable. The good thing about silver is that it has utility. You can actually look at people buying things. So if we look at raised interest rates, and we think about people buying things, the utility of silver, people buying less stuff, silver still doesn't make sense. So so silver to me. And buying something that that will go up in spurts very quickly and down very quickly and is unpredictable. Why the hell do I want that versus a stock market that is much more predicated on what happens in the economy? They don't happen in lockstep, but the stock market generally goes up faster when the economy is moving up faster and it hits its downswing at times when the economy is hitting rough patches. It is far more predictable. Real estate the same, right? Real estate, as we watch interest rates 
and we watch migrations of people from place to place, much more predictable. Why do I want to sell those and get into something like silver? Gold. Let's talk about gold. Zero utility. Gold. This wonderful writer, retired now, a guy named Walter Updegrave, wrote that gold on a daily basis is eight times more volatile than the stock market. So you're telling me if you don't like the volatility of the stock market, I'm going to, for safety, go into something that's eight times more volatile on the average day? Are you kidding me? Why, why am I going to do that? They're, they're, for a very conservative investor over long periods of time, what's interesting is I ran these model portfolios back when I was an advisor, and I, I just did it again recently, and it still proves to be the same. A little bit of precious metals and even better for me, just natural resources in your portfolio is like just a little bit of jalapeno in your chili, you know, just a little bit of, just, just a little bit of hot sauce added, added to it. It gives it this nice flavor. It actually, because it moves so erratically and so differently than most of your portfolio, which most modern portfolios are going to be built around stocks and then real estate second, and then maybe some bonds third, just a little bit of that actually calms down your portfolio which seems weird how does how does how do these volatile assets like gold and silver make your portfolio calmer well they do because they're so erratically different than everything else that that it makes the ride makes the ride smoother what's interesting about that though is the average investor does not look at their portfolio in total they look at the individual pieces and when i would meet with clients they'd say this investment sucks this investment is great. And my answer to that always was, this isn't a great investment and this one doesn't suck. This one under these current economic conditions is holding us back. Under these current economic conditions, this, this investment is skyrocketing. And guess what's going to happen? Those economic conditions are going to flip. And when they do, we're going to see that our, our ship continues to go up much more smoothly because we hold both. And you didn't mention the big one, Bitcoin. Do you look at it very similar as you would silver and gold in this case? Well, there's not enough track record, right? What economic stimuli spur Bitcoin? Because certainly, let's take a look at the last, I own Ethereum. Over the last year, Ethereum has done nothing. Bitcoin, a little different, right? D different case. Did you know a year ago that Bitcoin was going to respond to th this market in a way that was different than Ethereum? And, 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 and if you did, how, no. how did you know yeah. that? No, I <laughs> like, had, had no clue. Yeah. Like, like, so, so parsing between these, there is not enough background. There's not enough stress testing for me to know where that's going to go. And with governments continually getting into central bank, digital currency, what is the case for crypto versus central bank, digital currency? And you're seeing that use case a, a year later than this time last year, <laughs> you're seeing parse that sentence I just said, by the way, just, just, just every year you're seeing the use case for crypto gets a little, little less as central banks get involved. This idea that central banks aren't going to get involved in, in digital currencies is a fantasy, which is when you go back to the beginning of crypto, that's what the crypto lovers were saying. Hey, we finally get the fiat out of this, right? We get the, we get the government out of that. Governments weren't going to let that happen. Governments are going to, are going to, come there. So then you think, okay, there still is use case for crypto. And, and I think that crypto will still be a viable option of exchange, but is crypto an investment or is it 
or is it money? Like, like which one is it? Cause I'm investing in it as if it's an investment, but for it to be useful, it has to be money. So now I'm comparing it to the Forex exchange. Crypto makes my head hurt when I try to really <laughs> evaluate it. Don't get me wrong. I own, uh, I own some, I own just less than one share of Ethereum. I own about $1,700 worth of, it might be 1800 today, but I own very, very little, but, but I own a little bit so that I can even ride the ride. And it's frustrating because it was a day last week as we're recording this, I got this, I got this notification on my phone from, from the place where I hold my Ethereum and I went, Oh, I wonder what's going on. It was up almost 6% in one, in, in one day, 6% in one day, huge, huge upswing. I'm still down about $75 from where I bought it last summer, but you know, I mean, I, I wonder if crypto becomes more of a currency and less of an investment or speculation as it's adopted on a greater level. Right. So if oh, we were all using crypto, it would probably turn more into a currency yet while it's still fairly scarce and not fully adopted, we have this roller coaster ride of, of, scarcity versus an overabundance depending on which crypto it is and how many people are buying it and how much of it is available. Yeah, Kevin Rose from uh, Modern Finance I spoke with just over a year ago and and he talks uh, on his podcast a lot about NFTs and crypto and well, you know, this very very modern stuff. And he said something is great that which is if you're going to make a lot of money in an investment type you have to go in when it's the Wild West. You have to, which, by the way, tells you a lot about how you're going to go into that investment. You're going to tiptoe. You're going to go in with money you can afford to lose. And that money's either going to win big or it's going to lose big. That is that is where the big dollars are made. And I asked him about, well, do you think it's safe? And he's like, no, it's not safe. That doesn't mean it's not great. It can't be great. So, so, so then I look at Kiyosaki putting crypto in with gold and silver. From a guy, very confusing. Yeah, yeah. I just quoted these three people talking about these three different asset classes, and they look at them. They look at them completely differently than than Kiyosaki does. My problem with Kiyosaki's advice isn't that these might run contrary. What he's saying, if I back away, what he's saying is we need to have non-correlating assets to the stock market. That's what we need, or or the real estate market. We need non-correlating stuff, and certainly all three of those you can point to. Bitcoin. Crypto. I don't know if it's correlating or not. A lot of evidence that shows that it does correlate to a some little degree. Bit, yep. But the other two, historically, very low correlation. So if I'm doing those, that's fine. But then once again, at some point, if I need growth, I got to put the sale up because none of those three are going to make you wealthy. And people might be screaming, well, crypto can. Crypto, maybe. We don't know, but as it becomes safer, if it does, Doc, if it does become safer, then we can put grandma's money in it, which means you're not going to get growth anymore. So, so where does it go? I don't, I don't know. So my frustration is why am I going to get out of my long-term asset to go into these things and then have to bet? I got to bet that it's going to go down. Then I got to bet again, that it's going to go up. There may be people listening to this who wonder, you know, well, the stock market's been bad. The last the stock market's been great the last year. It has been. 
Like, what, where did he get such a bad name? It's been doing really well. I've run into so many people that just listen to the news. They're like, oh, the economy. So oh, look at these tech layoffs <laughs> and all the real estate trouble and all this stuff. Stock market. Nope. Stock market's been great. And if you got out a year ago, what the hell do you do today? Do you go, okay, do I continue to lose money on this bet while the stock market goes up and up and up? Or do I... Well, not lose money, but not gain any money, right? And inflation is high. So I've got high inflation. I got money in Ethereum. I got the 1700 bucks sitting in Ethereum. Let's use my own money. That money has lost about 75 bucks since I bought it. That money sitting there, inflation is, is huge over the last year. So I've lost buying power with the $1,700 sitting in Ethereum. Do I change it? What the hell do I do? Or is it going to finally take off like it did that one day last week? Like what, uh, you got to have this better mentality and it just, oh, grab the Tums. Yeah, that that's why I love Nick Majuli's advice, right? Just keep buying. Because in a sense, what he's saying is most markets go up over time. Most investments generally, not everything, but generally go up over time. So if you make some reasonable investments and you buy in good times and buy in bad times, your likelihood of success just is is enormous. Well, and if you buy reliable stuff, Right. Mm. Stuff with proven long-term track records. Much, 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 much better. I don't know any human being that will look at a 25-year goal until they need that dollar and go gold is a place to be. Yeah. yeah. Or we'll say silver is a place to be. They might say Bitcoin, but then I think, well, you're a fanboy. <laughs> So what I'm taking out of this from this whole article and, and you know, a lot of hype involved with it, but what I really get from it is something that you kind of said in the beginning is, you know, you kind of create a personal investor statement to help you prepare for these times, for this volatility, for this fear factor, so that when the time comes, you already have a good plan in place. Is there ever a time when you walk away from your personal investment statement? Like, is there any time when you say, okay... I've got to rethink this. Oh, absolutely. No, you you rethink it every six months. Hmm. You go back and you look at it. it. It's just like a machine. And I give you an example from today. I'm I'm at my standing desk. I've been gone for a week. I plug my standing desk back in and it won't it won't raise. It it the standing desk won't go up. So the standing desk, it turns out, I didn't know this until this morning needed to be reset, which means you take it all. So it will go down, but it won't go up. So I, here I am in my chair and I'm, I'm going lower and lower. And I'm like, if I, if I put this all the way at the bottom, then I'm going to have to figure out how to make it go back up. <laughs> and, and, and if it doesn't go up, then I, I just lost a desk because I'm too tall to use this desk. And then I watched a couple of YouTube videos and I found out you just reset it by sending it back to the bottom. And I think that every six months you need to reset and go in the current climate. Is this still what I want to do? It's funny. We were just at a uh, national park, the Black Canyon, the Gunnison, and they were talking about geology. You think about geology and the bedrock science behind geology. National Park Ranger Doc was saying that geology is still a living, breathing science. It still is a it still is is a thing where we're changing our mind. We're going, ah, oh, you know what? That, that that probably wasn't exactly right. It was directionally right, but but I think we can tweak that. My daughter spent the summer at Glacier as a national park guide. We used to always wear bells when we when we walked in national parks. My daughter told me that the current research shows 
that the bear that the bells attract bears <laughs> Oops. That, that they wonder what the hell it is <laughs> and that bears just don't like the human voice so if you just keep talking bears really don't like the human voice and they know the human voice so they will tend to try to stay away from you but if you wear the bell that's that's not a great thing now i'm wearing the bell at a national park based on 10 year old research yeah today it's it's changed so based on current conditions every 6 months i go is the, if a storm hit now is this still what I would do? And so I'm always tweaking and, and think about how calming that is to constantly be maintaining the engine, to be tweaking the engine during these times when things are going okay for me and I'm not in a panic mode. And I know that, 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 that I might respond a little differently now with a little more maturity. I've read a little more. The research has changed. We have more back testing. This is what I do instead. Once every six months. And you know what I really love about that is that it is proactive instead of reactive. And the problem with these kind of articles in general is they make us try to be reactive. But what you're doing is every six months you're being proactive. You're looking forward and saying, what do I need to do to be okay as time goes on? It's so much more fun. It is yeah. just so, and, and it is fun for people to go, oh man, you know, and what's cool is your investment policy statement could be horrible at the start, but it will calm you down. And it will be really fun. And you'll also start to think about, then your brain's working on, well, what don't I know, right? Most of us online in these ridiculous conversations we have on social media, we're trying to defend ourselves and talk about why we're right. The better question I believe is, where am I wrong? And as I put down my investment policy statement, I can see the holes. And the older I get, you know, the less I know. I saw a great video yesterday from these two parents who go, you know what's cool? We have these teenagers and they know everything <laughs> like, like the, the dad goes, companies will fly me out to their headquarters. They spend thousands of dollars to ask my advice because they don't know. And I come home, I'm talking to my teenagers about it. And they go, I know, of course I know, duh, I know like they are, they are so smart. And that was me too. I mean, so the older I get and the less I know. The more, the more fun it is to then go explore those black holes and find out and make a better investment policy statement. So close us out here, Joe. Are you optimistic? I mean, you're looking at what you've admitted could be a rocky times over the next decade or two. Are you feeling optimism? I always feel optimism toward the long term because I feel like if you stay proactive, then you can take advantage of the the dark times. Well, and even if you can't, You've built yourself enough of a life jacket that you can survive during those to get to the next great time. Over the short run, am I optimistic? Not really. No, you know, I mean, I look at what's going on in 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 the some of the real estate data, especially the short-term rental area, I think is worrisome. And with interest rates being higher and looking at credit card debt numbers going up. I think there's definitely some cause for concern, but that concern means that I need to work on my preparation, not move everything to gold, crypto, <laughs> and silver. I was going to do it, but I won't now. So speaking of the short term, not of the economy, but the life of Joe Salcihai, Joe, you're a busy guy, man. You're stacking Benjamins, stacking deeds. You're a co-producer with me on Earn and Invest. You're doing all sorts of public speaking. You just finished one book. What's going on here? Like, You're a pretty pretty busy guy nowadays. We are, we, we are trying to keep up with 
what's going on in this business is, you know, you know, a, a podcast is wherever people meet you. And so we are, I have a face for radio, but we're really working on video. So our YouTube channel is kind of, kind of is, is where I'm at. That's where my head is. It's on how do we, how do we create better, more robust videos to help more people get financially literate as, as that becomes a bigger and bigger piece of the puzzle of people watching videos, especially, you know, younger people. I want to remind you, Joe, you not only have a face for radio, but you've got a face for book writing too. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I do. There's, you notice there's no author photo on the back of Stacked, on the back of my book. <laughs> I, I, I didn't, but I, I will now. All right. So if people want to get in touch with you, what is the best way to reach out, ask you a question, or know what's coming up next in your life? Well, you'll see me more often anywhere lately on, on Instagram. So if you're on Instagram, just look at Stacking Benjamins podcast and send me a DM. You can email me, joe at stackingbenjamins.com. Say hi on Twitter, X or whatever the hell it is, but I'm I'm rarely there anymore. Um, but it's average Joe money. And yeah, just hanging out with you this fall. I'm headed to the five freedom retreat in Bali. So if you're one of the, what, 35 lucky people headed to Bali. I'll be speaking there next. Should be fun. Joe Salcihai of the Stag Benjamins podcast and author of the book Stacked. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks a lot, man, for getting my blood pressure up around <laughs> changing investments. That's a wrap. Earn and Invest is now part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to this show as well as other fine podcasts. Hey, everybody. I am coming to you from Camp Fi Midwest. This is a conference I love going to every year. And this time I thought I would do something different. I was contemplating this idea of what going to conferences means to those of us who attend them. And instead of giving you my opinions, I wanted to bring on a friend of mine, Kevin Carter. He is sitting right next to me, and I wanted to ask him a very basic question. Why ever would you come to a Camp Financial Independence? So Kevin, tell us, what brought you here to Camp Fi? Well, I have a lot of friends in the space. So coming to Camp Fi, I get to see friends that I often only see at these different events a couple times a year. But every time I come, no matter how many people I know, there's always plenty of new people to meet. And that is a ton of fun. So there's people from all walks of life, people who heard about FI last week that bought a last minute ticket and showed up to learn, hey, what is this whole fire thing? And people who have been retired for years and everything in between. So you get to hear stories from everyone, different perspectives, different approaches, all these amazing stories of the hardships people have gone through the wins they've had, how they've turned things around. And for me personally, one of my most fun things to do with these camps is what can I do to help people? And there's been plenty of cases where through enough knowledge and learning and reading and talking to everyone over the years, I've learned quite a bit about the space. And we've been able to stop some people from making mistakes or help them find a uh, more optimal path along the way that will work out better for them overall or show them what is possible or how things can be done. And that's a very rewarding feeling, knowing that you can help somebody that you just met get through something that can have a substantial impact on their life. And that's what keeps me going. 
You know, you bring up an interesting question. When I first came to Camp Fi here at Camp Fi Midwest in 2018, I came for a specific reason. I needed help. I was struggling as a doctor, burning out, but I didn't have the courage to completely leave. Coming to this Camp Fi, I met people who became part of my community, and they helped me do this really difficult thing. But why I come now is different. And from what I heard in some of what you just said, it's not always necessarily about what you learn, but it's actually about the people and the community you form. So I was wondering your opinion on this. Do you come to a conference like a Camp Fi to learn details, or do you come to become a part of other people's lives? For me, it's more to become a part of other people's lives. Every time I come, I'll learn something new. It could be just a an obscure detail about some tax thing or some thing that doesn't come up often in the mainstream stuff. Or it could just be different perspectives. So sometimes that's very valuable by itself is learning different people's perspectives on everything, how they approach stuff or hearing about hardships. So the next time I encounter someone else in a similar situation or where that story and that experience may be relevant, I have more tools available to me to guide people. But really, at the end of the day, I get more enjoyment and more fulfillment out of being able to help all the other people than anything else. I definitely agree with Kevin here. The idea ends up being the people. And I think that's what surprised me most about coming to conferences like this. Yes, you will definitely learn new things. You'll learn new hacks. You'll learn new ways of looking at your finances or your business or real estate or credit card hacking or whatever it is. But ultimately, what's changed my life about coming to Camp Fi, as well as FinCon and Economy and a bunch of other conferences that we have in this space, the personal finance conferences, is it makes me a better person, not because I know more, but basically on who I meet and who becomes part of my community. Kevin, round it up for us. A lot of people listening here, would you recommend or not recommend they come to a Camp Fi and why? I'd say absolutely. Camp Fi, Economy, all of the events, they've been nothing short of amazing for everyone I go to. Whether you learn new information or just make new friends or hear some amazing stories or get to share yours and get feedback in general, I can't think of any reason why you wouldn't come. That was Kevin Carter. Thank you for coming on the show. And I have to say, I couldn't agree more. All right, man. You know, I keep things running just for a few minutes. Um, I know that these articles on some level are silly, right? And they're big and they're audacious and they, they you know, pa- cause people panic. But I think there's so many good things that they bring out. And that's why I wanted to, like, do a more current eventsy type um I thought it was funny that you that you didn't tell me where it was until <laughs> yes. the word live. Yes. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't want to get your blood pressure up for like a whole day or two before, so I just held back <laughs> on the article. But you know, on purpose, I I wanted to also get your immediate reactions as opposed sure. to having it kind of stew in your brain for a while, um, because I know that these are things you've thought deeply about. But I think it hits us every time, right? That's what happens. We read one of these articles, and our blood pressure does go up. Right. And the brain starts getting kind of mushy and starts not making sense. And that's why I think it's it's good to kind of have those conversations. Well, we get triggered, yeah. you know, 
we get triggered. Like, you know, when you when when you pointed out that Kiyosaki said that, you know, this is Biden's problem. <laughs> it, it, it's, just, it's such a political statement. And, and I'm so I don't know, man, I don't know about you. I'm tired of politics as a football game. You know, I'm either pro this or I'm anti that instead of being a thinker. <laughs> you know, it's funny because it, it, it's a big question, right? Like how much does the sitting president actually have control over what's happening in the economy as they are acting president, right? Some people might argue that it's probably the two or three people before them that they're now like, that's what our economy is reflecting. Whereas other people are like, yes, this president made a decisive moment here and either helped us or screwed us. Um, as if it was in one person or even one party's power. And I, I, I get stuck on that because sometimes I think it's it's all hooey and these are kind of very broad strokes that they have no control over. But other times I look at specific policy, I'm like, yeah, that probably was the wrong move. I think it, this is, again, way out of my league, but 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 I, I tend to think that um, the president is chief communicator. Um, because you look at the presidents that most people will say were, were, you know, the iconic presidents since I've been alive, there really been three Ronald Reagan, Bill Clinton, and Barack Obama, right? All three amazing communicators, amazing communicators, incredible communicators and, and also lightning rods, right? People either hate Reagan or they love Reagan. They hate Clinton or they love Clinton. They hate Obama. They love Obama. But but their ability to just communicate to the the entire nation what they're thinking, I think is 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 the key. So I I don't know. I look at them more like a like the uh, chief White House correspondent. <laughs> 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 That's good, Joe. They, they're the chief communicator, and I—I I mean, a, it definitely is part of the role. Um, but yeah, but it, it does. You know, to your point, Cheryl. You know, and I talk about President Biden uh, a, a fair amount, and I get frustrated when he speaks because he sounds like he's 180 years old. Yeah, yeah. And it isn't even—it isn't even what he says or what he's doing. You know, I look at some of the things that he's done, and I go, "Yeah, okay." Yeah, cool. Some of the things his administration has accomplished, you know, and oh my God, Trump the same way. He says stuff and you go, oh man, <laughs> are you freaking kidding me? Like, like, like you hear stuff that comes out of his, his mouth about, you know, I took this test. <laughs> pretty much, co- pretty much anything he talks about. Usually <clears throat> I took this cognizant test and it shows that I'm very, very smart. I'm very, very smart. <laughs> You're like, smartest. oh God, the smartest. That is that is my leader. So I, oh, if those two are running against each other, uh, I will be in a twelve step. I'll be in a twelve step program. You care about your money, of course you do. So why aren't you listening to SoFi Daily? This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily, wherever you get your podcasts.